Hey everyone, this is Mary Christopher and I am in Dawsonville today. Today is Saturday, September the 24th, and I am visiting with Christopher, who is with LiveMonarch.com, and he knows all about monarchs, seeds, and creating sustainability, which is something that we all need. So, Christopher, you want to just say briefly how you got going with this? Sure. Well, first off, I don't know everything about everything. I know a little bit about a lot of things, and that's usually got me through most of it. How I started um, 21 years ago, or at least at least 21 years ago, in 1991, the monarch suffered a huge um, setback where 80% of them um, died while overwintering in Mexico. There are two major colonies in North America of monarchs. 80% of them um, hop into the um, mountains of Mexico into some fir trees, a couple of acres of fir trees, and they had three well, and the other um, colony, major colony, is in um, Southern California. Both of them, over the last 20 years, have had some major declines. But specifically, in um, the first couple days of, I think it's 2001, um, there was three days of rain and freezing temperatures. And monarchs can get wet, and monarchs can go through freezing temperatures, but combined, that created a major problem, and over 80% of them estimated um, perished all in one small area so pretty much if you were standing in the middle of it you had about a mile in a in most directions of several feet of dead monarchs that had fallen from the trees and it's pretty sad so I said to myself if there's something's gonna capture public opinion and realize that you know the you know the system of nature is sometimes fragile um, that's going to do it. And that with some, um, 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 I guess, n nudging from friends and some stuff that we were already doing um, gave me the idea to um, create a little bit of an educational foundation. And it was never supposed to be a big thing. It was always a give back to put something online because at the time I was doing internet advertising. And I noticed there's nothing about Monarch Butterflies. There's only three or two websites at the time, and we became the third and um, we did a little local outreach, started giving away um, free seed packets and getting people off of their computers, who at the time there was suddenly there was a huge change, you know. Kids were, you know, 10 years prior, you know, outside 90% of the time, and now they were inside 90% of the time. And it created a, a major change, and, you know, some of us could see that there's probably going to be some not-so-good repercussions for that. So let's get people outside, let's give them some um, easy education, and let's give them a super easy project that they can do in their own backyard and produce results that would make them care a little bit more about nature and the choices they're making in their own backyard. That's it. Yes. So a lot of what we're looking at here is to increase sustainability. Uh, well, not, absolutely. Yeah, not just for the butterflies, but for us too. Yes. Yeah, when you know, we were in South Florida and the average, you know, backyard scape or whatever is take everything that's there, wipe it out, cover it with a layer of muck and hope something grows because you th you threw a, a lawn over it. 
And there were a lot of problems with that, and a lot of the plants didn't work well long term. So now they have, you know, Xeriscape, and they're trying to, you know, better address the problems that, you know, an industry. When it, when you have an industry, you go in, you try to maximize profits, and what's there originally is not necessarily profitable. So you eradicate that, and then create systems that are going to benefit you for the long term. And that is definitely, you know, creating, you know, unsustainability because then you always need to add extra inputs to keep it alive. Like, so if you put a lawn in the wrong place without having good soil, well, you need fertilizer. And that fertilizer now happens to deplete more of the natural organisms that made the soil alive. So you need more fertilizer. And then you need a truck to come by every year or so and spray special chemicals on it because there's still problems with the lawn because you've <laughs> killed all the natural organisms that were supposed to help in the beginning. So, you know, being a kind of an inventor mind and somebody that was kind of looking at um, sustainability, but not really in that term, um, but more of a natural um, environmental stand of what is the natural way, what's been going on for millions of years, and how did we get to this? you know, point where we have beautiful areas and there are trees and there are, you know, grasses and there are insects. It wasn't by creating monocultures of things that don't support any of it. It's by letting nature create um, what it needs and having all these interconnectivities or these, you know, circles of life that all had overlaps. And, you know, everything's important. Yeah, every little, yeah. yes. So you, you send seeds you send milkweed, milkweed seeds, seeds yes to people for a donation primarily or for free too yeah okay. we've had a on the website and how we started we were always just giving away stuff for free um just on a real small on a small scale and if, if people wanted to give a little contribution they, they could and we were you know a 501c3 in um, florida for 20 years um so people could you know um, send in some um, money and get you know gifts but it was always the focus of ours were these are small purchases and we tried to keep things as absolutely inexpensive as possible and my mom was a teacher my grandma was a nurse and a teacher too and from that background growing up knowing that we had educators in our family um, the more I learned about the education system as it was going on now, that there were no more monarchs um, as part of the curriculum. Teachers couldn't afford even to pay for paper, much less buy seeds or, or um, what we had is uh, caterpillar castles, which are um, mesh cages and stuff like that. None of these things were available anymore at a reasonable price. So I said, you know what, I can create this and I can put, put this out um, into the world. We started offering these things as a very low cost, um, I wanna say subsidy, but it, it, you know, look, so somebody has to make money on every, on every transaction. You have to at least cover your basic costs. So th that's what we did. I created um, a little organization that would just cover its costs and nothing, and pretty much nothing else. Everything was reinvested and went back out. And we tried to teach people how to do exactly the same thing. Right. And like I was telling you before, Mary, that's like what we consider to be the natural um, example. You know, there's one seed. One seed creates one plant, hopefully, with a little bit of effort. That plant grows up, and it doesn't just create one seed, typically. It creates hundreds, if not thousands, of seeds. 
those fly through the air if you're a milkweed or are planted by someone and then those seeds can turn into hundreds or possibly thousands of more plants and now you you go from one in a year to thousands next year and that's what we've always tried to do with um, Live Monarch to instill in others the ability to with a very very small um, input of effort or money um, the ability to create something that has long-term value and can be shared are the milkweed plants like once they're going are they annuals or perennials for the most part milkweed is a perennial where it come back year after year there are certain varieties where they're in the tropics mm -hmm. that are, are, are one shot and done but they do um, prolifically seed so you can like I said from one milkweed like we used to sell a lot of tropical milkweed which is not in fashion anymore because of some um, <laughs> no, there, you know, look, when we first started 20 years ago, there was almost no information about any of this. So the fact that we had three, um, three varieties was actually better than most people. Um, and we supported, you know, what was going on. You know, it's hard to know, you know, everything about it because I'm in a small area and our, our geographic location was South Florida. And that's what we saw. And that's what we did. There's only a couple of varieties of milkweed that did anything in South Florida. Right. And the monarchs don't love everything. You right. know, they love certain types of milkweed. And, you know, th there is some new, new research that shows that even the vilified tropical milkweed is kind of important and may um, serve an extremely important survival um, pattern for the monarchs because they seek it out if they have um, any type of sickness or illness, and that would be typically... Oh. Yeah, OE, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, so, you know, nature right. always has a few little tricks up its sleeve. If they didn't, then when in 91, when um, or 2001, excuse me, when 80% of the monarchs died, they would have never recovered. You know, you could have lost all of them at the same time. Right. Um, but there are multiple ways the monarchs do survive but they have to survive as adults. They don't, they can't, um, they're not like a swallowtail, which can stay in a pupa form for up to six months. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, monarchs are only seven to 10 days unless it's cool. Oops, sorry. <laughs> unless it's chilly. Right. So uh, what's the, how does, in most cases, how does a monarch butterfly use the milkweed? All right, pretty, pretty simple. So you have a basically a lunar cycle for a monarch um, from an egg to an adult. So it's 28 to 31 days, okay? And so a female monarch, they call them gravid because they're carrying eggs, she'll smell milkweed from up to 20 miles away. Wow. She'll circle around it. That's how you know it's a female monarch. She's circling around the milkweed, and she will m land on a milkweed even if there's no flowers. That's how you know it's a female because the males won't land on a, on a plant unless there's flowers to drink from. The next thing she does is she tests the milkweed with her feet. She has little tiny um, needle projections on her on her feet, and she's actually tasting it. So monarchs are not silly. They right. not only smell it, come to an area where there's like, okay, there's enough milkweed here probably. Then she tastes it to make sure it's good. And then she might um, um, crane her abdomen underneath and um, glue a couple of eggs. Okay? Normally... A uh, monarch's pretty smart, and they're only going to lay a couple of eggs on a, a milkweed plant unless there's very few milkweed. Mm. And then she has two things. She has in her mind, like, look, I could have up to 700 eggs inside me. I need to get these out of me. There's some kind of pressure 
going on. We don't know if it's psychological or <laughs> physical, but she's she's in a rush. Right. And she's out there looking for milkweed to lay eggs on. The more milkweed out there, the more opportunity there is for these caterpillars to have enough to eat. Unfortunately, sometimes she might lay too many on, on one plant. Mm. And then the caterpillars could, you know, fight or have to um, move from one milkweed to another. Uh, okay, so you have um, three days as an egg. Then it, it emerges at its tiny little caterpillar. Its first meal is the actual eggshell. And that's how they get the OE. If, if she has it on her abdomen, because mm -hmm. OE goes through the gut of the caterpillar, emerges um, while the butterflies in the pupa or the chrysalis state, and then it's on her abdomen when she lays the eggs with the glue, it sticks to that egg. Wow. And they eat it right when they eat that first meal, which is the eggshell. What's the OE? OE is a... It, it's a it's a parasite okay yeah th there's a lot of information on it and the entire life cycle of it it's it's very hard to um, beat um, but it may actually help them survive because it is a natural way to keep the population down so monarchs like I said survive the winter in the adult form so they have wings even a caterpillar is still a monarch it's just a monarch caterpillar it hasn't become an adult monarch it's a juvenile so the OE is out there in nature, and if there is, here, so if you're in South Florida where there's milkweed year-round and the rest of the country is frozen, there's no milkweed else anywhere else, monarchs are not going to be flying anywhere else. They're not looking, they're looking to stay around the milkweed. There's no plants, there's no nectar sources, and it's too cold um, for them. They're going to stay where the milkweed is. However, they're adults, and if they weren't in delayed sexual maturity or diapause, they would keep um, creating more and more caterpillars and, you know, eggs and then caterpillars, and those caterpillars are going to eat whatever they can find. Right. They'll eat everything. Right. Okay? Um, uh, as long as it's a milkweed. They'll even eat a little bit of pumpkin or watermelon rind just in case to st stave off starvation, but that's not something they normally know how to do. That's something you can do if you... Find right. a monarch and you can't find milkweed. Right. So the OE hurts the hurts the monarch and it stops a lot of the caterpillars. Mm -hmm. Because if it didn't, you'd have a geometric progression of um, how many monarchs there are. Like I said, one monarch can lay up to 700 eggs. Wow. It's not typical, but let's say 200 to, to 500 is, is typical. That's 200 to 500 milkweed plants that are going to be gone in the next 21 days because that's how long the caterpillar lives. Okay. And they take 20 leaves to go from caterpillar to a pupa. Wow. And those are the larger leaves. So they can totally denude or eat every leaf on the plant. Then they can start eating the nodes on the plant, and they can still eat the soft stems of the plant. But once there are too many caterpillars on the plant, those plants don't really do, do well, and they might not come back. So the big problem with having too many caterpillars is you're going to run out of your food source. Once you run out of your food source, if you have a longer winter, you run out of the ability to sustain life, and then that population collapses. So from that you know, simple explanation, you can see why, yeah, it's necessary to have some natural um, source of population control for the monarchs. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. So it, it's it's not nice, right? You know, monarchs are dying, and you know, caterpillars are starving. Um, but it's part of the natural scheme of things. It's like you know, if, if your mom and dad had 
85 children every month, um, <laughs> there might be a problem feeding them. You know, so small problem. Yeah, and if the right. children start out at the normal weight of eight pounds, and at the end of 21 days they're the size and weight of a school bus. Right. That's actually pretty accurate. Um, that's Proportionally. All, yeah, that yeah. is that's right. a big child. Wow. So it takes them from egg. Okay. To so three days as an egg, 18 to 21 days as a caterpillar, and this is somewhat temperature dependent, and then seven to 10 days as a pupa before they emerge as the monarch. So you're looking at 28 to 31 days typically as a cycle. You can stretch it out if it's cooler. Um, they'll, they'll go slower because they are cold, cold-blooded. Wow. That's great. In a nutshell. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's so, wonderful. So we, we, we now realize that monarchs eat a lot, and they can go through life cycles pretty quick. There is every year through their great annual migration where they go from the the southern, well, the mountains of Mexico through Texas and on the eastern side, there are basically six or so generations of monarchs that, you know, there's one, two, three, and they make it all the way up to Canada in many times. But it's not the same monarch uh, making the whole migration. It's their children, their grandchildren, their great-children, their great-great-grandchildren on the way back, you know, great-great-great. <laughs> and, you know, hopefully their numbers um, um, prop up and they can finish the migration with as many, if not more, than what they started from. So they're going to be needing milkweed, milkweed yeah. all the way down. Exactly, yeah. They need milkweed all the way up, and then they need milkweed all the way down. Right. And actually, it's even bigger numbers on the way back. Right. Because there's many, many more um, monarchs because of the geometrical progression of their um, population expansions. Of course, there's things that eat them or they, you know, not everything works great for every monarch. Um, but on the average, um, there's usually more monarchs finishing a year than start out. So that's hopeful. Yeah, that's extremely hopeful. Yeah. Yes. You know, we've ha we talked to some scientists and they are really against, they did not like at all the fact that monarchs are putting on the endangered list. And, you know, I can see because it also, it threatens them a little bit because then they can't study things as easily. Mm -hmm. Because once, once the government says no touch, you can't touch. Right. Okay, there's steep penalties. However, you know, the scientists will tell you that the monarch populations are relatively stable and have been stable for, um, you know, 10 years. But considering the fact that we've only known about the overwintering sites and have any count on monarchs for less than 50 years, it's hard to, uh, you know, you know, ring a siren that, you know, <laughs> oh, no, we're in danger or it's all clear right. when you had a 90 percent decline in 10 years. Well, and we've got so much climate change. Yeah, you know, yeah. So we some, could have that happen again. Yeah, you know, our focus used to say that you know, hey, there's a lot of things that we can control, and there are, and everybody wants to be cognizant of the things we can control in our own backyard, and hopefully, influence others to make better decisions because a lot of people's decisions affect a lot of other people. Yes. You know, so it's extremely important for that. But then there are other bigger things. We're in a world that is definitely changing, and everybody really needs to um, be aware that, you know, as things change, there are going to be um, more difficulties. You know, just last year, you know, the price of oil went up. Or because, you know, oh, because, you know, there's lots of reasons or rationales right. for it. But if there's a super cold winter, or a super hot summer, um, 
we're all in a very um, Goldilocks environment, <laughs> you know, where and yes. the the, about, the amount of um, stress that anybody can take is limited. So we always wanted to get people to have an education, um, grow some things in their backyard, care for nature, and then grow some things for yourself. Realize that. You know, if you you would like that tomato in the store, yeah, it's easy enough to buy it in the store if you have the money. Right. But what's the effort required to actually grow it in your backyard, just in case? You know, get a little get a little knowledge and a little um, expertise under your belt, just in case. Because it's, again, th there's the the pride of doing things yourself. I think is very important, um, but also the ability to help others in times where. Th things are actually important yes yeah yes. Where, and that's a great feeling yeah to be able to do that yeah and yeah. you know so i you know again you know we were you're a farmer um in my um family we had um coal coal miners and farmers and stuff like that and, you know things change yeah so you know are they are they trying to have their kids become coal miners anymore no <laughs> are, you know are kids trying to become farmers anymore you know, it's like you have to figure out new ways to in, increase the value to not only the producer, the, the worker, the family, but then the, the community. Right. And I think that's the hardest, that's the hardest balance, um, you know, because I think, um, well, I know our value system is so heavily skewered towards hey a dollar's worth this is this is the almighty thing we should all be focused on on this grab this and that'll save us well <laughs> yeah if if nobody wants it or right. if, if you have nothing to use it for or you can't buy what you need or it's too suddenly too expensive that you know um hour you invested you know creating this store of value might not really be the best store of value for you you know we were um talking earlier about what I thought the most valuable thing here in a, in a park and Mary says it's it's the air I'm like yeah <laughs> obviously if we had no air it would be over real quick you know and I'm not saying that we're the most important things on the planet at all but I'm thinking about as far as what we can do it's I think um, having seeds because a seed is millions of years of selective investment you know, of animals and ecosystems of people that we've never seen or don't really even fully appreciate at all. And just that one seed, you know, this a, a tenth of a penny or whatever put into the ground can create this huge array of, of blessings for us, you know, food, you know, clothing, shelter, everything is grown unless it's mined. Right. You know, so if you want right. something living, it, it's it has to be from a seed. You know, even you and me are from seeds, but you know. Right. Yes. So is milkweed pretty easy to grow? Yes. <laughs> That's a good aside. We'll go back to the milkweed. <laughs> no, milkweed is easy, and we typically only have um, varieties on our site that are are, are pretty simple. Um, there are eighty different varieties of milkweed um, throughout North America. I think that's correct. Yeah, and um, there's two hundred twelve around the world. But the 80 that are here, I think only like 12 are commercially available. Mm -hmm. It's because it's, they're just too hard. You know, there's some people that can collect seeds out there in the wild. And if you do, please don't pillage nature. Plant some right back where you found them. But if you have extras, you know, share with your neighbors until you get, a, you know, become a community resource. 
Um, but the seeds that, that we have are, yeah, it's pretty simple. As long as milkweed gets under the ground, um, it should grow and should do well. That's but, great. Yeah, that's the whole cycle, though. Milkweed um, flies around on parachutes for the most parts. Right. And it has to get under that soil in order to work. But it can float around in the and stay on the ground for a couple years before it goes bad. Oh, so, that's good. Yeah, there's a lot of milkweed and a lot of seeds in the world that um, just because you don't see them growing yet, they're still there in the soils. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So there, there's always some hope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all, as long as you've got seeds somewhere. Yes, yes. that's the trick. Once yep. you eradicate the seeds, then how do you get that? You have to go through millions of years of evolution right. to get back to the point where we are now. You know, yes. I, I want to give you know cr credit to the people who have been doing you know the um, oh, what's the gentleman who who did the um, cross pollination of the pea plants? Oh, uh, Mendel. Yeah, Mendelssohn. Gregor yeah, Mendel. Mendel's, yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite guys. Yeah. Yes. Amazing stuff. Yes. Am you know, so think we're standing on the on the shoulders of people from even just two hundred years ago that have created so much um, value to us just by figuring out, hey. If, if I put these two plants together, or rub these two flowers together, wow, something new happens and we get something different. Because that's, that's where we are now. I'm just not in favor of the, the people creating seeds that have no viability afterwards. Right, the that's, genetic. Th yeah, that seems right. to be a, an aberration of, um, of the natural way. Yes, it's and the I can opposite see it, direction. I can see it very, right. becoming very dangerous just if it gets yeah. out in the wrong direction. But yeah. that's, a, that's another podcast. It, yes, all together. Yes, we could both go on about that one. Yes. So where are you going to go from here? What, today? <laughs> Just in general. With, in general. Well, yeah. a, a couple years ago, we were he heavy on creating plants. And then we moved to North Georgia, and that became difficult because we're in a different climate. And so it's like everybody's used to where they live. And what is normally easy for you may not be very easy if climate changes just a little bit. And that's what happened when we moved 700 miles. Right. You know, from, you know, the middle of, of Florida up to um, the north of Georgia. And it was a major change. And the things and the techniques that we had then weren't working very well so it's unsustainable just on a, on a money wise to to pay people and sell things at a loss right. there's only so so long you can do that we did it for a little while and then realized <laughs> hold on we need to go back to the drawing board and figure things out we kind of had and um the main thing we're going to be doing is what we have been doing for a couple of years now is building a 365 uh, day a year greenhouse that's um, solar heated and stores heat under the ground and stuff like that. And it's, I've been slow um, on that because we're building up a property and also trying to keep, you know, Live Monarch and a couple other things that actually do um, are more profit profitable going. Um, but, you know, sometimes we're two people. Sometimes we're eight people. Um, it just depends on how many um, um, requests are coming in for seeds. Right. Yeah. Oh. By the way, we still do our free seed program. We've been doing that for 21 years now, um, but it's going to change a little next year just to kind of, um, so we don't go from um, 50 requests in a week to 9,000 in a day. Wow. That was a lot. That's, was, that's geometric. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Well, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yes, yes, so we want to be as professional as possible. And I, and I apologize if you sent in, um, an envelope and it took more than a couple of weeks to get back to you. Um, I don't like um, trying to rely on people's um, um, patience and goodwill more than I, more than necessary. Right. So is this a good time to plant? Yes. 
again with milkweed mm -hmm. um, right now we're in the in fall and plants are going to seeds and the seeds will be blowing around and um, they have to work their way under the soil that could take a week it could take a month it could take a year if you go out right now and you have milkweed planted a quarter inch um, deep and you're ahead of the game or you could wait a month or you could wait three months or you could just do multiple plantings which is what we always suggest people do do multiple plantings in multiple areas mm -hmm. and then when you see something that works make a little note and let us know what worked in your area what was the best and if we have um, generalized tips we can help other people to get better success oh that's that's a great idea to pay attention to what works yes 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 definitely most it, it works for most people but yes. you know people causes it didn't work at all I'm like well let me ask you three questions um, did you use old potting soil that other plants died in okay oh yeah that's a <laughs> some, there's some, oops. some that's a, oops yeah that's a basic thing so there's pathogens in your soil right two were you using an auxiliary heating mat because you probably cooked your seeds because milkweed actually really prefers to be outside where it has a variation of temperature through the day it's only a quarter inch deep remember so when the sun hits it it's going to warm up and then at night it's going to cool down there is a magical um, chemical lock on these seeds and some um, have to go through cold cycles so that's called vernalization Right. And you have cold stratification where you can put them in a bag with um, wet sand and put them in your refrigerator. We don't suggest that mm -hmm. typically because most people just, it, it doesn't always work. Right. And it, it's better to let nature take its course for something where we know at least 60 to 70% are going to come up. Other than if you do it in your refrigerator and wait a month and then absolutely nothing works. Well, you know, you waste, well, you invested a month of waiting and hoping. Right. You know. Right. We'll send you more seeds, but right. <laughs> but yeah, trying to take care of the ones. You yes, right. yes, yes, yes. Like so, if doing multiple tests in multiple soils, and I think the um, the third problem is either l letting that soil dry out completely or having it sit in a in a puddle. Mm. You know, both those things. You just have to. You know, it's not like a true Goldilocks, but you know, it has to be moist, but not sopping or if you let right. things dry out completely like we had people that would in south florida would store seeds um you know in the plastic bag we sent them plastic bag we didn't have holes at the time now we put little holes in them right but if the if there was moisture in the bag or it was super humid you'd have a, a, a germination right but there wasn't enough moisture to to make even the the tip of the root come out of the seed oh. so the seed would germinate but you wouldn't know it it would die in the bag and then you're thinking, oh, these seeds are bad. Mm, well, they weren't, but it, again, it's, it's handling. But until you know that, you don't know. Right, right. So this is a good time. Yes. Between now and... No, it's like almost always a good time okay. to plant milkweed. Right. Yeah, we plant good. throughout the year. Okay. And we've gotten the best results. Even here in North Georgia, the first time we planted, we just you know, said, oh, I got plenty of seeds. Let's put like a you know, quarter pound out here. Right. And hardly anything came up. Right. The ne the next um, season, we made small divots, um, and then put three or four seeds per hole, quarter inch deep, covered them, and threw some mulch over them. Lots of good results, and that's how we did with the wildflowers too that we had. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But year after year, now we went from you know nothing but clay and a like a very very thin. Um, soil layer that wasn't really soil but at least it was a darker color than the orange clay yes um now we have it's ridiculous we go out there a couple times um in the season to make um bouquets whenever we're going to um 
you know, parties or whatever, we just right. go out there, cut a big bouquet of flowers, and people oh, are like, wow, where'd great. you get these? And like, it's from our hill. Yeah. Backyard. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think it. So that's, a, again, seeds. Yes. Amazing, inexpensive, incredible value. Get as many types of seeds as you can, save your seeds and share them with others and spread the wealth. Great. Okay. Thank you so much. And if you all want to grow some milkweed, go to livemonarch.com. L-I-V-E-M-O-N-A-R-C-H.com. There you go. That's it. And we'll we'll keep up with Christopher and see how they're doing. And if you all get some seeds and get some results, put it in the notes on the podcast. We'd love to know. Okay, take care, have a great weekend, and talk to you soon.